Welcome back to the Mavericks and Misfits podcast with Jeff Lyle. Traditions enslave us, trends deceive us, but the truth of God's word never ceases to transform us. Join us now for another stretch of the soul as Jeff calls us to think hard on what we say we believe and to know more deeply why we believe it. Here's today's word for all the Mavericks and the Misfits. Thank you for that enthusiastic introduction, Savannah. I appreciate that. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Episode number 76 of Mavericks and Misfits, and this is the final podcast of the year 2021. It's been a um, really good year. I mean, it really has with all the battles, with all of the challenges, with all of the chaos in the culture. Um, I'm finishing out this year and saying, wow, especially compared to 2020. Uh, 2021 was a great year. Can I be honest though? I am glad to see it go because I've got more optimism in my heart towards 2022. And although I know that, you know, honestly, nothing necessarily changes when the calendar flips from one year to another. Um, there's just a mark. It's a benchmark. It's an opportunity to throw down a marker and say we completed a year. And every time we go into a new year, um, my heart is filled with hope. We're one year closer to that moment where we will see our king face to face. And um, I don't know. I'm just one of those people that likes uh, completing uh, goals, completing seasons and entering new ones. And so hope you share that sentiment with me. If you don't, hey, it's okay. We can't stop the calendar whether we like it or whether we don't like it. Um, as I wrap up this year, I'm going to do something I rarely do. Um, back um, in the, I think it was the last it was a month ago. It was somewhere at the end of February. It's the last Sunday in February. I went to share a message with the church at Winder, um, where I serve as pastor, of course. And um, it was just one of those days where nothing at church worked. Have you ever had one of those? I mean, like nothing worked. It was the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Um, I think the, the congregation was tired. There were a lot of people that were out. Um, the warm-ups, we have a, an hour of prayer and worship with our worship team during warm-ups. There's usually about 25 of us in the room. And um, man, the warm-up time where we were praying and just worshiping before the, the crowds got there, uh, was glorious. You know, the presence of the Lord was thick. We took communion as we do every Sunday with our intercessory team and with our worship team and production team. And, um, man, we just felt the presence of the Lord. But as soon as we stepped into the actual service, like almost from the get go, it was like, we were smothered. I mean, it was just one of those Sundays where nothing worked and the worship team hit all their notes. They did everything they're supposed to do and nothing worked. The, you know, I, I hesitate to say it this way, but it felt like the spirit of the Lord was just saying, mm, no, not today. And, uh, you know, there's a mystery to that. I don't know why the Lord would, you know, sometimes allow that to happen or even cause that to happen. I don't know. Maybe he'll tell me when we get to heaven. But regardless, it continued into the sermon, too. Uh, when we got into the sermon, I, I was just giving it my best. But there was warfare on the sermon. I felt like it fell flat. And uh, quite honestly, it didn't scratch my itch. I'm like, Lord, I know you gave me this message, but um, I didn't get it out. And so what am I doing today? I'm going to try to scratch the itch with that same message. It's from Joshua, the book of Joshua, um, chapter number 14. And I want to talk to you about running uphill towards giants. That's what I'm calling this podcast today, running uphill towards giants, which doesn't sound like necessarily anything that you would want to sign up for. 
but it's exactly what a man named Caleb did uh, thousands of years ago in ancient Israel when Israel was just starting to settle the promised land. They'd been delivered from Egypt. They were moving into the promised land. And this old man named Caleb stood in front of Joshua, his human leader, and he said, hey, give me my mountain. Moses promised me that mountain, that hill territory, when we came into the promised land. I want it. I don't care that it's got giants on it. Give me permission to run uphill towards the giants so I can embrace my full inheritance. And I want to say that what we see in Caleb needs to be a component of your life and mine as we move into a new year and as we embrace the unknown. And I'm going to tell you, God has glorious inheritance for his people. He's not done with his church. He has many things to offer each of us and to all of us collectively. And if we will embrace the idea that it's not just going to pour downhill to us while we stand there, you know, waiting for God to bless us no matter what. No, the blessings and the fullness of the inheritance of God for each one of our lives requires some effort. It requires some tenacity. It requires us enduring and engaging in warfare and winning. And it requires us to be willing to face some giants on the way uphill towards the best things that God has reserved for us. And so that's the message I want to share with you today. I'm going to read a few verses. If you're somewhere, you're stationary, um, you got a Bible nearby, join me in Joshua chapter number 14. If you're traveling or you don't have access to the scriptures right now, it's okay. I'm going to read it to you. But I'm going to read it to you after I do something very wise, which is take a big sip of my coffee. Hold on a second. Okay, now, spiritually fit and physically fit with a little dose of caffeine. So let me read you a few verses from Joshua chapter 6. And again, this is in the context of Israel settling the land. They're coming into their full inheritance. They've been fighting for five years. All of the Philistines, as they've moved into the land, so they're subduing the promised land. The promised land is promised, but it comes into our actuality through warfare. We have to fight and defend and advance and reclaim surrendered ground. And so that's the picture that's being set here. And so the Bible says in Joshua 14, 6, that the people of Judah, so people of the tribe of Judah, came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb said to him, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot is trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you've wholly followed the Lord my God. Caleb continues in verse 10. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am this day 85 years old. I'm as still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then, for war and for going and coming. So now give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day 
how the Anakim, those are the giants, you heard on that day how the giants were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. All right, so you've got this amazing moment from Caleb, the servant of the Lord, an old man. Don't miss that. He's an old man. And he is saying, all right, I've waited long enough. I now want what is mine. Give me what the Lord promised to me. Give me my inheritance. And so when we think on Caleb's story, ultimately, I want to talk to you about what it looks like in your life. Because we're taught in the New Testament that the things of the Old Testament were put there for our learning, for our instruction. So if you read the Old Testament as history, and it's just a data book, a historical book of religious data, you're missing the entire point of the gift of the Old Testament. For the Christian, the Old Testament is there, and it serves to edify and strengthen and instruct us in the faith. We can learn from so many of the things that are taught, both precept, both principle, and then by um, the patterns of those individuals that lived back in that day, we also can learn. So what do we want to learn from Caleb? Well, I want to learn how to run uphill towards giants and win. That's what I'm talking about. So Caleb's story is pretty cool. And I want you to think about uh, this, this old man of God, and he is old, don't be offended, um, he's 85 years old. That's not young. It was old back then. It's old now. But le- what, what can we learn from him? Because we don't even have the excuse of, well, we're too old to run uphill. Oh, we're too old to fight giants. Oh, we're too old to step into the fullness of our inheritance. We missed it. Our time is gone. Our season is past. Stop lying. Stop lying. Quit listening to the devil. He's a liar if he's telling you that stuff. You got a brainwave. You got a pulse. You got a heartbeat. You got the spirit of God. You've got the God of heaven who loves you, who lives inside of you. He's giving you the word of the Lord. And because you're still here on planet earth, I'm going to tell you, you are not done. Your time has not passed. You did not miss the boat. If you are willing, then he is able. And so let's learn from Caleb. So Caleb had three things that he had to do in order to secure his full inheritance. That mountain territory, that hill territory was promised him by God. God told Caleb 40 years prior to Joshua 14, you're going to go into the promised land and that land that you've walked upon when you spied out the land originally, it's going to be yours and it's going to go to your family forever. It's going to be in your family for generations. And so Caleb, remember that that land belongs to you. Well, one of the first things Caleb had to become aware of in this process of claiming his full inheritance from God is that it would involve some waiting. That's a word we don't like because we are so addicted to instant gratification. We so want what we want and we want it now and we want it the easiest possible way at the earliest possible convenience. And unfortunately, kingdom people, that is not how God operates. And Caleb was forced by circumstances beyond his control to have to wait for the fullness of inheritance. But it was also a testing of his faith. What am I talking about? When, when it says in verse number six, the first verse I read from Joshua 14, that it was then that Caleb came to Joshua, then is describing a time period that came after a whole lot of stuff. 
the previous 45 years are very important because they set up the backdrop for what Caleb had to do. It had been a time of wavering for the people of Israel. You got to remember when Caleb, Caleb was one of 12 leaders handpicked to go into the promised land when they were up on the border of it. Israel was up on the border of it originally 45 years earlier. And 12 leaders, the finest that Israel had to offer from the 12 tribes, were sent to spy out the land. And so when those 12 spies came back, 10 of them, everybody except Joshua and Caleb, 10 of them came back and said, there's no way we can do what God said we should do. There's no way we can win. There's no way we can take the territory. There's no way we can conquer the giants. There's no way we can invade and bring down their cities. We can't do what God told us to do because we're not capable. And so when they went into the land, they saw their weakness. They did not trust the Lord. They could not conceive of any way that God would come through on what he had promised. It's the promised land. But they said, no, God, God, in essence, doesn't keep his promises. But Caleb had a different spirit. That's what the Bible says about Caleb. Caleb had a different spirit. And Caleb rose up and said, no, we're well able to go in there and to take the land. Well, long story short, the 10 outvoted the two. And uh, Israel did not go in and claim the land. And God was very angry with them. And so God pronounced a judgment. And he says, everybody that's 20 years old and older will never go into this land. I'm going to let you guys wander in the wilderness and tell everybody that's over 20 years old, except Joshua and Caleb, you're all going to die out here in the wilderness because you did not believe me. By the way, real quick, unbelief brings death in the wilderness. (laughs) Just remember that. If you don't believe God, you'll die in your barrenness. You'll die in your wilderness. You'll die doing nothing, believing nothing, living for nothing, and standing for nothing. That's not encouraging news, but that's true. But here's the encouraging part. You don't have to live like that. If you believe God and start getting into the promises of God and start living by faith and start doing away with your pity party and your excuses and your woe is me kind of mindset, and that's invading the church in these days. I'm being strong about this because I see that in so many people that think that you know all is lost, all is hopeless, and all you can see is what's wrong. Yeah, you'll die in the wasteland. But for those of you that want to have a different spirit like Caleb, Caleb said, no, I'm going in, but Caleb had to wait 40 years. He had to pay the price because the people around him didn't believe. And so the the wavering of not going in turned into wandering, and they wandered for 40 years. And so it, it just ended up being a overall a period of waiting. And so 40 years later, they cross over the border. So Caleb's finally in the promised land. But guess what? Um, he had to He had to wait a little bit more. Why? Because it was also a season of warfare. He had to fight. So for five more years, he's fighting alongside all of, he's an 85 year old man, by the way, and he's fighting. He's literally fighting hand to hand combat, killing Philistines, killing the an enemy, killing the people who were getting in between him and his inheritance. And so he, he goes in and for five years, he's fighting with all of Israel. And finally, they get to a point where the land is subdued for the most part. And Caleb approaches Joshua and says, look, I've waited 45 years and I want what God has destined me for. I love that. I love it. I love it. I love the fact that the long delay did not diminish Caleb's appetite for God's best. Some of you need to hear that. Let me be bold with you because a lot of you that listen are, you know, 40 years old and younger. And I would consider that young people, especially those of you in your 20s. Man, if you can't learn to wait, God can't trust you with his best. Hear me, if you can't learn to wait, you're not ready 
for the fullness of what God has prepared for you. He makes everybody wait. Jesus, his own son, had to wait 30 years. Jesus, the son of God, when he came to earth, had to wait 30 years. 30 out of his 33 years on earth were waiting. 30 years of waiting to do three years of ministry. That was the pattern for Jesus Christ. Moses was 80 years old before he got his call. Abraham was 75 years old before he heard from God. You've got people in the Bible that were old and had to wait a long time before they stepped into what God uh, really had for them. And so Caleb's just another example of that. But he did wait. And so then the, the warfare came. He had to fight for five years. That test your resolve. Some of you are okay with waiting, but you went from waiting to warfare. You can taste what God has for you. You feel it's close. You've grown more certain about his destiny on your life. You know that this is the call of God in your life. You know you were built for more, but so does the devil. So does Satan. So does the demonic realm. And so guess what? They connect, they convince uh, or, no, or they contrive warfare against you. They literally battle plan you. They're like, oh, no, we're not going to let her step into the fullness of what God has for her. Oh, no, 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 no. We're not going to let that guy, that servant of the Lord, step in, easily step into what the Lord has for him. And Satan commands his demonic army to fight against anything that brings God glory. When you start moving into the full inheritance of what God has for you, you can call it destiny. You can call it the inheritance. You can call it, um, you know, the fullness of what the Father has planned for your life purpose, whatever you want to call it. When the enemy sees that you're set for the glory of God and you're wanting to honor God by embracing all that he has destined you for, the enemy says, no, 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 I'm not going to let that go uncontested. And so he literally contests you. And so he pronounces warfare on you. And some of you are in that season. And again, it's proving your resolve. It's literally testing your heart. Because if, if you are bound and determined to live out the fullness of God's plan for your life, there's going to be warfare on it. And if you only want to live out the best that God has for you, if it's easy, then you're not suitable. You're not fit. Can I say it this way? You're not worthy of God's best if you have to get it easily. So what does God do? He allows the warfare to test us. It causes us to press in more to him. It causes us to, to empty ourselves of our impatience, empty ourselves of our thirst for comfort and ease. And we say, listen, I'm either an overcomer in Jesus Christ or I'm not. I'm either more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ or I'm not. I'm, I'm either going to believe the Bible when it says I'm being always made to triumph in Jesus Christ or I'm not going to believe that. You, you literally have to look in the mirror and say, am I going to be who God says I am? And when you're in warfare, you have to decide, yes, I'm going to be the woman or the man that God says I am. And if Satan has declared war on me, I'm going to declare it back on him and I'm going to fight. So the picture of that for Caleb was that he he's in the promised land arena, but he still hasn't gotten his particular promise. Why? Because there's the enemy is contesting it. So Caleb finally gets to this place. And like the immediate enemies have been defeated. The Philistines that were in between him and the mountain were defeated. So what does he do? He comes to Joshua, his human leader. He says, Joshua, you know the prophetic word on me that came from Moses. You were right there when he gave it. Joshua, you remember when Moses said that that hill country, that mountain right there, that belongs to me and my family. And then he's, he says some stuff that's really cool. I want you to get this. By the way, for all of you that aspire to leadership, 
all of you that really feel like a call of God to lead in the kingdom, you've got to get some Caleb backbone in you. You know, when you quit and you move every six months because you didn't get your immediate reward and you're addicted to the polish and the Instagram worthy side of ministry and your name being associated with some other name and your name becoming great. Listen, I love you, but you are so immature. You need to grow up. You've got to fight. You've got to stay put. One of the things I want to see in this generation coming up is stay rooted down where God planted you until God brings forth the fruit. Quit uprooting every year and moving to a new place, hoping that that will be the place of immediate fruit. Um, I hope God doesn't give it to you. I'm, I'm dead serious on that. I know I'm being bold today, but listen, I, I'm just coming against the, the, the pandemic of immaturity in, in the people of God. You know, people that are just so enamored with what it looks like on social media, and they think that's real ministry. It's not real ministry. That's marketing. Real ministry is sometimes sitting and waiting and warring while you're looking to be winning. And there's a lot more waiting and a lot more warring before the moment of winning comes. So Caleb had warred. Caleb had waited. And then you get down to kind of the end of the verses that I read. And Caleb's in the presence of Joshua. He says, Josh, old buddy, it's time. Me and you have been through a lot together. Josh, if you'll look over your shoulder, that's the hill that you remember that the Lord promised me through Moses. I'm 85 years old today, Joshua, and I haven't lost my desire. I haven't lost my vision. And I haven't lost my confidence that the Lord will give me what he said he would give me. I love that. He says to Joshua, I'm as strong today as I was 45 years ago, and I'm ready to take that mountain. Guys, I want you to think about that. He not only lost, did not lose, did not lose his desire for it. He didn't lose his vision for it. He could still see it as fresh after 45 years of waiting as he did when it was first promised to him. But it wasn't just his vision and his desire. He had not lost his confidence that God would do it. He said, God will send me uphill against giants and he'll give me the victory. I love that. I love it. I love it. Why is that important? Well, there's a lot of people that, that say, no, I can still see it happening. I can still see what it looks like if it were to happen. And I, I still want it to happen. I still do. I really do. I want it to happen. I want the fullness of what God has for me. I, I, I want breakthrough. I, I want God's fullness of his plan for my life. I want God's destiny. I want the, the, the comprehensive inheritance that Jesus died to secure for me. I want it all. And I could see what it might look like. But they don't have the confidence that God will do it. They might still have their desire. They might can still envision it. But they don't have the confidence anymore that God will do it. Why? Because they've waited so long. And they've warred so hard. You see, for those who don't keep their faith stirred and fixated on the glory of God, those that don't stay intimate with Jesus, those that get sidetracked by all that's wrong, all that opposes them, all the wounds, all the hurts, all the scars, those are, their peop those are the same people that they'll, they'll have a theoretical belief that God can do great things, but they won't have any actual confidence that he will do great things. And I'm seeing this all over the place in the church, in the charismatic church, and those that don't believe in the supernatural works of the Lord. 
Christianity has become a theoretical faith of what God used to do and what God might do and what God will one day in the future do, but right now he ain't doing much. And I curse that. I literally curse that. I curse it in my own life. I curse it in your life. I curse it in the church. The idea that the God who was and the God who will be is different than the God who is, that is a damnable heresy. You hear me on that. It's a heresy, and that's part of the problem with the church today is we're stuck between the God who was in the Bible and the, you know, the Old Testament who did the signs, wonders, miracles, power, the God of the book of Acts with Holy Ghost flowing and anointings and revivals and mass salvations and healings and deliverances and resurrections. Oh, man, God was great. And then they look ahead to the book of Revelation. They see the new heavens and the new earth and Jesus sitting and the redeemed singing and the Satan destroyed and the demons in the lake of fire. And they're saying, oh, man, God's going to be good then. So they love the God who was and they're amazed at the God who will be. But right now they have zero confidence or expectation about the God who is. Guys, can you see that with me? It's like they're standing at the bottom of the hill. And they're saying, man, it's going to be good one day if we could ever get to the top of it. But I don't know about running uphill towards my inheritance. I don't know about running uphill towards my inheritance. I don't know about fighting giants on the way to my inheritance. I just want to get on the top of the mountain, but I'm tired of waiting and I'm tired of warring. Well, let me just be bold. Then you'll be sitting there theorizing about what God can do at the bottom of the mountain the rest of your life. Until you recognize when you're right at the edge, right there in that moment where God wants to deliver you fully into the fullness of his purpose and inheritance for you, that last leg of the race is going to feel like running uphill towards giants. You've made it so far. You've waited so long. You've warred so hard and you get down to the very end of it. And you're like, man, I just don't know if I can go uphill this last leg of the race. And there's giants that are going to get in the way. Well, of course there are things that are going to get in the way. It's the last moment of the battle. Satan doesn't give up. How can we give up? I hope you hear the pleading in my voice. Caleb said, I'm still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. In verse 12, he says, so now, now, right now, Joshua, give me this mountain of which the Lord has spoken to me. He says, yeah, I know the Anakim are there. Those are the giants. Caleb's like, Joshua. If you'll just, I want to honor you, Joshua, just give me permission. Turn me loose on that mountain. Yep, I know I'm old. Yep, I know it's been a long time since the original promise came. Yes, Joshua, I know there's a ton of giants between me and the top of that mountain. But Joshua, my life means nothing if I don't embrace the fullness of what God promised me. So Joshua, give me my mountain. Hallelujah. Good night alive. We need that in the church. I wonder how many of you are listening and you've stopped asking God, what is my inheritance? God, what is my promised mountain? God, what's the assigned territory that you have for me that's not only going to bless me, but it's going to bless my, my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, the generations coming behind me. Guys, the church isn't asking that anymore. Let me ask, tell you what the church is asking. 
The church has gotten so navel-gazing, insulated, and politically corrupted that they're saying they're, they're just walking around. This is not everybody in the church, but this is a large part of it. They're walking around feeling sorry for themselves because they didn't get what they wanted when they wanted it, and, and they ha- they're now having to fight for it. And, you know, everything they warred for, everything they waited on is not being handed to them in this last leg of the race. Are you kidding me? Who told you it was going to be easy? Who told you it was going to be simple? You haven't believed this microwave, you know, drive-through mindset where everything comes easily at a convenience, have you? That's not the kingdom. That's not been the, the testimony of Christians since the church was birthed 2,000 years ago. Where else in the world, what other generation, I'm feeling this right now, what other generation in the existence of the church in the last 2,000 years has felt entitled to have government and culture hand them the mountain of their inheritance from God? Our brothers and sisters in parts of the world right now are getting their heads chopped off for the glory of God. I mean, we've got little Christian girls in Nigeria getting getting um, stolen and kidnapped and their parents slaughtered. And these little girls are being forced to convert to Islam and they're getting trafficked. And some of them are getting killed and raped because they will not neg- uh, recant the name of Jesus. And we've got the American church over here wondering why nobody's, you know, making their ministry happen for them. We've got the American church over here wondering why the government isn't smiling on the church anymore. And how come, how come the Democrats don't love us? How come the Republicans don't value what we value? Yeah, you hear a little snide sarcasm in my voice, and I'm not even going to apologize for it today. I'm telling you, man, if we're going to be able to be the people of God, that we are destined to be full of the Holy Spirit, recognizing that there's giants that will contest the inheritance in our generation that God is. And if we're sitting at the foot of the mountain crying about the giants and crying about the uphill climb and whining about how tough it is and how difficult it is and how I'm so tired and I'm so, get out of the way. Just get out of the way. And especially if you're in a leadership position or aspire to be in a leadership position, a missionary, a prophet, a pastor, an apostle, an evangelist, a teacher, and you're whining and complaining and murmuring and growing and you're getting insular and you're hiding and you're becoming a keyboard warrior that all you do is complain on social media about what's going on, get out of the way. You're done. Either repent Get your heart right, get reacquainted with your spine in the name of Jesus, or get out of the way. You want to stay at the foot of the mountain whining about the giants? Then do it, but get out of the way of the Caleb's that are wanting to run up the mountain, kill the giants, and dominate. By the way, end of the story. Caleb takes the mountain. You go read a couple more chapters in Joshua 14, 15, 16. Caleb kills three giants there were three individual giants they're named i forget their names but they're weird you know pagan names and caleb kills them so he actually ran up the mountain you can't get on the mountain on the top of the mountain unless you go up the mountain and so quit waiting for god to transport you magically and easily to the top of the mountain god says no run up the mountain and kill what's between you and the peak kill it Destroy it. Overcome it. And Caleb did all of that at 85 years old. And guess what? 
he got to pass down that territory to his descendants. So I hope that you've been, um, man, at the very least, I hope you're irritated with me. You know, if you don't like what I said, good. I'm glad because that means that it's provoking something in you. But you can't deny it. You cannot deny it. There is no amen from heaven to the Christian complaining, whining, or wanting an easy promotion. God will never say amen to that. God will say one thing to it. Repent and believe me and start walking up the mountain. That's what the Lord says. So God, help us today, help the listener today to get reacquainted with some courage and some valor and some honor in his or her spirit. I pray that you'll slay the giants of all of our excuses. I pray, Lord, that you will crush unbelief and doubt. And I'm asking you, God, I'm asking for myself right now, Lord. I'm praying this publicly. Please give me everything I need daily to charge uphill and kill the giants so I can meet you at the top of the mountain and give you the glory for it. And what I pray for me, I pray for the listener too. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Mavericks and Misfits. If you were helped by what Jeff shared today, please take a moment to rate and review Mavericks and Misfits with Jeff Lyle on iTunes or Spotify. Your review helps us enlarge our digital footprint to reach more potential listeners every week. Also, please take advantage of the free written and video resources made available at transformingtruth.org. Join us again every Tuesday for a brand new episode of Mavericks and Misfits.